My mama was a maid. My grandmama was a house slave. Do you ever dream of being something else? What does it feel like to raise a white child when your own child's at home being looked after by somebody else? It feels... I done raised 17 kids in my life. Looking after white babies, that's what I do. I know how to get them babies asleep, stop crying, and go in the toilet bowl before their mamas even get out of bed in the morning. Babies like fat. They like big, fat legs, too. That I know. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is smart. You is kind. You is important. <laughs> I work for the Leafaults from eight to four, six days a week. I make ninety-five cent an hour. That come to hundred eighty-two dollars every month. I do all the cooking, cleaning, washing, ironing, and grocery shopping. But mostly, I take care of baby girl. And Lord, I worry she gonna be fat. Mm, oh, Ain't gonna be no beauty queen either. Hey, Belene. Rich Club's in an hour. Did you finish the chicken salad? Yeah. Oh, and Hilly's deviled eggs. No paprika. Does this dress look homemade? I reckon when you finish it won't. Well, thank you. Miss Leafall still don't pick baby girl up but once a day. Birth and blues got hold of Miss Leaf all pretty hard. I done seen it happen plenty of times. Once babies start having their own babies. This movie was set in the 1960s during the uh, civil rights movement, and an aspiring author decides to write uh, a book about from the African-American maid's point of view about uh, working for white families, raising white babies. And it doesn't take long to figure out that this is a very difficult life for these women. And uh, it also paints kind of a sad picture about what's gone on in the United States when one group of people thinks that they are superior or starts acting superior to another group of people. But it's not just the United States. If you look back through the, the human history in the world, it happens all the time. One group thinks they are superior to another. And it could be skin color. It can be religious background. It can be education or socioeconomic uh, conditions, backgrounds. It can even be the nation... Uh, in which they were born. One group starts acting superior to another. And, and so when you look at this and, and you just kind of scratch your head and you ask why, what would cause one group of people to look down on another group of people um, based upon factors that in many, most cases they couldn't control? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says the human heart is the 
is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So the Bible, what I love about the Bible is it just, it just cuts away all of the periphery and says, here's the deal. You want to know why people treat other people badly? Well, it's very clear. It's this number one on your listening guide. It's because the human heart is desperately wicked. Actually, there's not a number one on there. I, I took that off. So that's the first one right there in the middle. This wickedness entered the human race when Adam and Eve decided they were going to turn their backs on God and disobey God in the garden. And it's been passed on to all of us. You have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. And if we're not careful, it will seep out when it's under stress or when we're having um, some, some difficult times, when you least expect it. How many of you have ever thought, this, this is kind of, we're going to ask several questions here. How many of you have ever thought you were better than another person? Probably nobody wants to raise your hand, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I've done that. I've looked down on people before just for whatever reason. You see somebody, you think you're better than them. Okay, let's get a few more hands. How many of you have ever raised your voice to an employee of Walmart or a gas station or wherever it is you frequent simply because you didn't think they treated you correctly? Yeah, everybody says raise to who's <laughs> from from the mouth of babes the truth comes right raise your hand um, how many of you have ever said mean things to your spouse or to your children when you were angry or hurt how many of you have ever lost your cool and looked like a fool for doing so all right I think that's most of us. That's because the human heart is desperately wicked and you and I allow the wickedness to escape in the heat of the moment. But God says there's a better way for us to do life and it's in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What Paul is telling the, the Galatians is if you'll do these things, there's not a, there's not a law on the earth that forbids you from doing these things, from exhibiting these types of characteristics. Now, in this movie, we see a lot of people not exhibiting these characteristics. So in this next clip, I want you to watch and see who exhibits a wicked heart and who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. Daddy, what happened to Constantine? Uh, well, Constantine went to live in Chicago with her family. People move on, Skeeter. But I do wish that she'd stay down here with us. I don't believe you. She would have written and told me. Did you fire her? We were just a job to her, honey. But then it's all about money. Now, you'll understand that once you've had help of your own. <laughs> she raised me. She did not. She worked here for 29 years. It was a colored thing, and I put it behind me. Excuse me a moment, Rebecca. My daughter's upset my cancerous ulcers.
What are you doing hiding out here, girl? I just couldn't tell Mama I didn't get asked to the dance. It's all right. Not blame me, just got to keep to ourselves, right? I'm boy, see, I'm ugly. Mama was serving her up in Miss South Carolina, but I wish you quit feeling sorry for yourself. is something that goes up inside. It's mean and hurt like them boys. Now, you're not one to get me, is you? But I didn't think so, huh? Every day. Every day you're not dead in the ground. If you wake up in the morning, you're going to have to make some decisions. You gotta ask yourself this question. Am I gonna believe all them bad things them fools said about me today? You hear me? Am I gonna believe all them bad things that fools say about me today? Why? As for your mama, she didn't pick her life. But you, you're going to do something big with you. You wait and see. Come on, go home with me till the dance over. Come on. It's easy to see why. It's easy to see why um, Skeeter loved Constantine, isn't it? Which one exhibited the fruit of the spirit in that scene? Which one exhibited the, the hard heart or the wicked heart? And some of the best lines in the whole movie are in this scene right here. Um, I love it when she says, ugly is feeling sorry for yourself. She said, ugly is something that grows up inside, and I would say from a wicked heart. And it's mean and hurtful like them boys. Every day you have to make some decisions. You've got to ask yourself this question. Am I going to believe all those bad things them fools say about me today? Some pretty good advice, isn't it? Now, why would people say bad things about you? It's because a human heart is desperately wicked. Why would you say bad things about other people? It's because a human heart is desperately wicked. So if my heart is wicked and your heart is wicked, what hope do we have for ever getting along with other people, for loving God and other people? Well, fortunately, the Bible tells us. The key is, number two, is to get a new heart. God offers you a new heart. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, does God say only a few people have a stubborn, stony heart? All people have a stubborn, stony heart. We all want to be in charge. Now, Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet and he's writing to the Israelites and God would raise up a prophet to tell the truth. And what he's telling the Israelites is you've turned your back on God and he kind of rehearses all the things that they've done uh, to sin against God. And then they have been disciplined severely. Other countries have invaded them, taken them captive, uh, forced them into slavery, all kinds of things because they disobeyed God. And, And then Ezekiel says, okay, now here's the deal. The verse before this, verse 25, he says, When you return to God, God will cleanse you from your uncleanness. And the, the wickedness there actually means unclean. So because they had sinned, because they had defiled themselves before God, 
He disciplined them, but he says, when you return, when you come to God and you say to God, I have sinned, God will cleanse you. He will remove the wickedness from you, but that's not enough. Since the human heart is desperately wicked, God says, I need to give you a new heart. So I get a new heart, and there's a third thing. I get a new spirit. God offers me a new spirit, and this is the helper. And and I know you're going to think this is cheesy because the movie's The Help, and I'm talking about The Helper, but uh, I'll explain more in just a minute. I don't care if it's cheesy if you remember it. Now, look at verse 27. It says this, and I will put my spirit, and this is a capital S. And by the way, I suggest you capitalize that S in new spirit. I get a new spirit because it's talking about, uh, it says it here, my spirit in you that will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Who is the helper? It's the Holy Spirit of God who enables you to do things that you could not do. The Bible says that we can have the mind of Christ, but it's only when we are dominated, filled by God's Holy Spirit and we're focusing on God. I don't know how many people have said to me, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. And you know what my answer to them is? You're exactly right. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. No one is good enough. You have to have this heart surgery because you have a wicked heart. I have a wicked heart. When a person says, I'm a sinner, God performs this surgery by sending the Holy Spirit. See, this is the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was temporary. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is permanent for those who are Christ followers. He comes and he indwells you and he begins to perform this heart surgery, removes this heart of stone, this stubborn heart, and even gives you desires to obey God and to be tender towards God and towards others. And some of you think I'm making up this deal about the helper, but the name the helper comes straight from the mouth of Jesus in John 15, 26. He says, I will send the what? I will send the what? One more time. I will send the what? The helper from the father. He is the spirit of truth who comes from the father. When he comes, he will tell about me. So the helper is the Holy Spirit of God. God sends this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower, you didn't seek God. God first sought you. He was beginning to draw you by the power of his Holy Spirit. He was beginning to make your heart soft. He was beginning to cause you to question the things that you see in this world. God always seeks you first. So he sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And as soon as you show the slightest inkling that you are interested in the things of God, God coincidentally makes it possible for you to cross the paths of other Christ followers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who will help you understand the things of God and bring you right up to the line of faith. And they're praying desperately the whole time that you'll cross that line of faith, that you'll come into the kingdom of God, that you'll get this new heart, this new spirit, because they know that you cannot do it on your own. They know that not only is Christianity the best way to die, it's also the best way to live. The only way to die, if Jesus Christ is who he said he was, if the Bible is true, the only way to die is to be a Christ follower, because then you're assured of being with him in heaven. But it's also the best way to live when you are dominated by the Holy Spirit, Then you have these fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's not normally in me. That's not naturally in me. That is supernaturally in me as I yield to God's Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? God sends a Spirit, the Helper, to do these things for us. Now, once you have a new heart and a new spirit, then God gives you a new job to do. In this next clip, I want you to watch how God gets Abilene's attention and shows her what she's supposed to do next. Please open your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. God 
having asked Moses to free the Israelites, Moses answered, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. See, courage isn't just about being brave. Courage is daring to do what is right in spite of the weakness of our flesh. And God tells us, commands us, compels us to love. Amen? See, love, as exemplified by our Lord Jesus Christ, is to be prepared to put yourself in harm's way for your fellow man. And by your fellow man, I mean your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your friend, and your enemy. See, if you can love your enemy, you already have the victory. Let's stand. All right. Victory is mine. Victory is up on State Street. I've got a cab here, like you asked. I drive two streets over. Mm-hmm. I know now that it's against the law what we're doing. I've never seen you in a uniform before. You look really nice. Thank you. I never had no white person in my house before. Mosquito. What if you don't like what I got to say about white people? This isn't about me. It didn't matter how I feel. You're going to have to change my name. My Miss Lee falls everybody. Do you have other maids that are interested? They're gonna be hard. What about Minnie? Minnie got some story showing up, but she ain't real keen on talking to white people right now. Abilene is afraid to step out and tell the truth because it's dangerous. People were being beaten up, and then in the movie, uh, Medgar Evers is killed, and so what they were doing was against the law. They show a scene where Skeeter's reading the law, and, and it was against the law for them to do what they were doing. And so you can understand her being scared, but she's sitting in church, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience. If it is, it has to be the Holy Spirit doing this, but you sat in church, and the preacher starts talking, and the things that he says speak directly to your heart. That has to be a God thing, because there's no preacher smart enough to do that. 
And in the movie, he, the preacher says, courage is doing what's right for your fellow man, regardless of the circumstances. And then he starts naming who's your fellow man. It's your brother, your sister, your relatives. It's your neighbor and it's your enemies. Doing what's right is never easy and following God has never been easy. And this so reminds me of the story of Esther. And I know our ladies are doing the Esther Bible study and it's a great study by Beth Moore. Great little book in the Old Testament. It's only 10 chapters long and, and you can read it in about 10, 15 minutes, the whole book. You should read it today. I'm convinced that God put Esther in the position she was in because she was supposed to be a deliverer. Now, I'm just going to tell you the, 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 the quick synopsis of this whole story. Uh, Esther has an uncle named Mordecai, and Mordecai has a mortal enemy named Haman. Haman becomes the second in command, and, and he gets all of these blessings in the kingdom. He's second only to the king, but Haman, uh, but Mordecai will not bow down to him and acknowledge his position, and so he begins to hate Mordecai. One day he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, and he's so filled with wickedness, his heart is so filled with wickedness, that he decides not only is he going to kill Mordecai, but he wants to wipe out every Jew in the 127 provinces of, of the kingdom. And so he goes in, he kind of deceitfully gets the king to sign this edict, sends it out, and on a certain day, it was fair game to kill a Jew and to take all of their stuff. Well, if you read the book, you'll see how God puts Esther on the throne. She becomes the queen. But Mordecai had said, don't ever tell anyone you're a Jew because it could put your life in danger. And so when he finds out this edict, um, he sends word to Esther and he says, you need to go to the king. And Esther says, whoa, whoa, hold your horses there, unk, because here's the deal. If I go to the king and the king has not summoned me to come into him, if he's not pleased with me, I can die on the spot. So you come out and they tell the king that you're there. And he, if he raises his golden scepter, you know, this, I think this is way too much power for any human being to have. But if he raises his scepter, it's okay for you to come in and see him. And so she said, if I go to the king, I might die. And, and, and Mordecai goes, you're right. If you go to the king, you might die. If you do nothing, you will probably die. And all of your relatives will die with you. And then he says, have you ever considered that maybe God put you in the position that you're in to save your nation? So she comes back and she goes, okay, you know, how can you argue with that? And so Esther says in 416, chapter 4, verse 16, Go and get all the Jewish people in Susa together. For my sake, give up eating. So that she says, I want you to call a fast. If you want me to do something that's this dangerous, I want you to call a fast. Look what she does. For my sake, give up eating. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my servant girls will also give up eating. Then I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I die, I die. This is an incredible young woman who didn't ask to be queen. She didn't ask to be in the whole little beauty pageant thing that she went through for a year before she was chosen to be queen. She didn't ask for this, but God, I believe, strategically put her in a position where she could be a deliverer for the entire nation. So they prayed, and they got filled with the Spirit, I believe, and then that gave her the ability to come up with this ingenious plan where Haman gets caught. Haman is so mad, he goes home and he tells everybody, he, he gets promoted, he's excited, he goes home and he tells his wife, calls all of his advisors together, and they said, why, you know, you've gotten all these blessings, why are you so sad? Because of that Mordecai. Mordecai will not bow to me. And so they said, build a gallows 75 feet high. The interesting thing about that is the walls around the city were just about 75 feet high. So they said, make the, the gallows 75 feet high, which is way higher and bigger than you need to hang somebody. He said, then go to the king early in the morning and hang Mordecai on it. 
And if you, if you know the story, what happens is God delivers them through Esther. And it, and it ends up that, not, that Haman is hanged on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. God delivered them. Um, and, and so my, my point is that when you need to make a big decision, when you need courage, when you need strength, God provides something else for you, and it's a new power to do the job. Not only does he give you a new heart, a new spirit, a new job to do, but he also gives you power to do the job. Now, when Jesus walked on the earth, he had a message that most people didn't like. In fact, you know, he said, I'm God with skin on, and this is why he was killed. People said, you are not God. And Jesus said, before his death, he predicted, he said, I am God, and I'm going to prove it to you by coming back from the dead after I've been in the grave three days. He did that, and then he comes back and he visits his followers over a period of 40 days, and he gives them all kinds of messages. The very last message he gives them is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One of the reasons that we go to Haiti is because of this verse. Because not only are we supposed to tell people about God here, we're supposed to go around the world. And, and we can't go to every country, but we can go to one. We talked about this last week. You can't do everything for everybody, but you can do something, one thing for one person, and we're going to do something for Haiti. Um, Pastor Samson, the last night we were there, he always says thank you for coming and all that stuff. And he asked me if I wanted to share anything, and I said, I've got a message for you. And, and for some reason, God brought this into my mind the whole week. And it was um, for, for, from 1 Samuel sixteen seven when God was calling David to be the king. And all of David's brothers had come before uh, the prophet. And God rejects them all. And then God says, do not look at the outward appearance, for I've rejected him. God looks at the heart. And so I was telling Pastor Samson, I said, I don't know why, but, um, but God, regardless of the fact that I'm a short, bald, white man, you're my brother. Don't look at the outward appearance. My heart beats for Haiti. And I believe God has called us to go to Haiti. And, and the, the teenagers, a lot of you have read the book Radical by David Platt. In that book, it talks about that we are all called. You're all called. Not just to tell people here about Christ, but around the world. You are called to go. The question is, will you? And, and when? And I'm not saying everybody in our church should go. That, wouldn't that be awesome? You think people would hear about that strangeness if, if uh, 100 adults next year go to Haiti? That would be awesome. But I'm saying you are called to take this message. If you're a Christ follower, it's not optional. He doesn't single out certain Christians and say you're called and you're not called. He says we're all called. The, the whole issue is will you be obedient to that call and when will you go? Because I shared with you, you know, Ricky Baker, he didn't get to go the first two years because there were circumstances here. He felt called to go and then he got to go this year. You are called to go. And if our church is, is, is called to go to Haiti and you're a part of this church, guess what? You're supposed to go. I don't know if that's next year, but you're supposed to go sometime. And, and it doesn't matter. God always in the New Testament, I'm, I'm getting off script here. The guys at the back start going, where is this? God said that we're supposed to look out for people who can't look out for themselves. And, and I've been to Haiti three times. And all it takes is coming out of the airport. You don't even drive five minutes till you see the first tent city. There's probably, uh, well, there's thousands. There may even be 100,000 people living in those tent cities right there around the airport. 
By tent cities, I mean a tarp held together sometimes by duct tape and string. And here we have all this affluence. And it's hard. It's hard to go to Haiti. It's hard to give. Okay, I'm going to get off that. But I'm telling my point is, you are called to go. I don't know when, but you're called to do something. You can do one thing for one person. You can't do everything for everybody. You can do one thing for one country. And so you are called to be a part of, of this. Jesus said, I'll give you power. You don't have to worry about the power. I have felt as safe. Actually, I've felt safer in Haiti than I do in the United States. Where we stay, we have armed guards. They've never had to pull their weapons. I don't even know where their weapons are. Hadn't seen them. We're in a walled area, and when we go out, I mean, it's just crazy how people will come out of the community and help us in the bucket lines. One lady, um, her son, although he was a little toot, um, uh, he, he got into our, our little children's ministry each day. So I think after the second day, he brought her to meet all of us. Little Jimmy, he's probably 9, 10 years old, and his mom was just beaming. This is my son. This is my son. Thank you for coming and, and working with my son. They're so grateful. God will give you the power. God will provide for you to go. <clears throat> Not long after he told his disciples, I'll give you power, and you're supposed to go everywhere and tell people about me. He was taken up into the sky, and, and while they were watching, he disappeared into a cloud, and he left the mission of the kingdom of God to us. Which seems really risky. That seems like a questionable strategy, right? Because the human heart is desperately wicked. Well, in this next clip, I want you to see that one of the nicest people in the movie gets treated poorly by others. And this shows a classic example how Satan's going to try to stop you from doing God's work here as well as in Haiti. Watch this. Don't be taking those women any more pies. You understand?
was the backing salesman. Hi, Minnie. How does he know about you getting knocked up by Mr. Johnny? Imagine you married one of their men's. Especially since Miss Hill and Mr. Johnny had just broke up, too. So Hilly probably thinks that I was fooling around with Johnny when they were still going steady. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Walters always said Miss Hilly feels sweet on Mr. Johnny, too. No wonder. They don't hate me. They hate what they think I did. They hate you because they think you white trash. I'm just gonna have to tell Hilly I ain't no boyfriend stealer. <laughs> Back, I'll tell her Friday night at benefit. You don't need to be going to that benefit, Miss Celia. Did you hear me? Now you just stay home. So here's the deal. Celia has a past. And my question to you is who doesn't? See, Jesus leaves his work, the the kingdom of God work, to a group of humans who all have pasts. And so if you're Satan, who would become your primary target? Jesus is gone. You can't mess with him anymore. Humans. And if you are Satan, what are you going to do? You're going to try to drag people down and say, because of your past, you have no part in the kingdom of God. You've got no business sharing with others what's going on in the kingdom of God because of your past. Does that make sense? That's what he's trying to do is he's trying to pull you down. And so I just want to know, again, this is crowd participation. How many of you have a past that you're not proud of? Even my sweet wife, Janie, has a past. I'm just sworn to secrecy unless she dies first and then all bets are off. I've told her that. She said, don't you ever share things. And I'm still like, baby, you're gone. You're in heaven. You'd be living it up. So that's my incentive for her not to die first is because I have way... And I don't care. See, if I die first, I don't care if she tells you my secrets. I I just don't care. We all have a past. And here's what, what God offers. He offers something else. He offers a new purpose for your past. Now, this is a pretty cool deal. Um, Jesus is the only one who has no past, and he, he lived a sinless life. Then he died on the cross to pay the penalty, the debt that you and I who have pasts have. And if we'll accept what he's done for us on the cross, God will cleanse us from sin. He will give us a new heart. He'll give us a new spirit. He'll give us a new job to do. He'll give us the power to do the job. And then he gives us a new purpose for our past. I mean, I want you to think about this. If you've got a past, you're in pretty good company. Moses, Big Mo, the one who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, Moses was guilty of murder. And, and because he tried to steal God's glory, he didn't get to go into the promised land. King David, the greatest king, the best king of, of the Jewish nation, he was guilty of adultery and murder. The apostle Peter, I mean, this guy is the one who preached the first sermon after Pentecost and three people got saved. Uh, three people, 3,000 people got saved. I mean, incredible things were happening in the church. Peter, on the night that Jesus was taken into captivity, ran like a scared little schoolgirl and then cursed and lied about even knowing Jesus. Jesus restored him. And then Paul, the one who wrote more than half of the New Testament, he stood by as an accessory to murder when, the, when the, one of the first deacons was stoned to death, Stephen. And if you know, well, no, we won't go into deacons there. We won't. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, so much so that as he's being stoned, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he says, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Paul was standing right there saying, kill him, 
kill him. So if you've got a past, you're in really good company. But here's the thing God offers to do. We've all had painful experiences, and God allows you to go through painful experiences to train you to serve others. Some of those painful experiences are because of your bad choices. Some of those painful experiences are because of others' bad choices, and they affect us. But God allows it because He wants to train you. He intentionally allows you to go through this because He wants to train you to serve others. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled... We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. The Holy Spirit, if you'll allow him to comfort you during very painful experiences. But God never comforts you just so that you can be comforted. He always comforts you with a view to the future because he's going to bring you across somebody who you can say, I know how you feel. Because if you've gone through something, you feel alone. Satan isolates you over here and says you're the only one. And you think you're the only one who's ever struggled with that. God brings through the power of the Holy Spirit someone who says, I've been there. And there may be two or three steps further down the road to recovery than you are. And they help you with it. It's one of the things that's so great about Celebrate Recovery. When you get through all 12 steps. Step 12 is you're supposed to give back what you learned. God heals you and helps you get over hurts, habits, and hang-ups so that you can then turn around and help others who are going through the same things you did get through your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So your greatest ministry is going to grow out of your deepest pain. Regardless of whether it was your choice to... to, uh, that, that caused the pain or someone else's choice. God is so big. The helper is so powerful that he can transform your pain into a contact point with someone who is far from God. So, who better to help you through divorce than someone who has gone through divorce and has been recovered and been, um, been blessed by God? Who better to help you go through Uh, get through some maybe some sexual trauma than someone who's gone through that themselves and they've been healed and restored by God and they help you walk through that. Who better to help you if you have a Down syndrome baby than someone who's already already raised a Down syndrome baby? Janie and I were at our our ballroom dancing thing Friday night and this lady was talking to us and, and she was talking about her older son and how he's at the University of Dallas and everything's going great and then she said she had two sons. I said, what about the younger one? She said, well, our younger one is special. And then she just started talking about him, and and my heart went out because she said, "Oh, he's got a great sense of humor. He sees things. He sees. He has a perspective of life that we never would have stopped to consider." And I said, "That's a blessing of God." And and this woman has a perspective because he's sixteen years old. She could walk with someone else who who maybe has just now had a Down syndrome baby. Do you see the incredible um, design of God's family? If every one of us here, because we all have a spiritual gift, we all have a passion, we also have natural talents, we all have a personality, but we also have experiences and God never wastes a hurt. Can you see the tr- tremendous potential if this group of people, every one of us with different experiences, if we began to allow the Holy Spirit not only to heal us, but to give us opportunities to reach out to someone else going through the same thing? Do you see the power and the outreach effect it would have in our, in our county? That's a yes. I mean, God never designed the church where the pastor does all the work. You may have been in churches like that, but that's not the design of Scripture. The design of Scripture is the pastor is to lead you, help you figure out your spiritual gift, and then help you find a place of service and turn you loose to do the work of God. When we do that, 
Incredible things happen that we would not have predicted because the Spirit of God helps us help others. Bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to think about this. Most of you here have admitted at some point that you have a wicked heart and you've received God. And and the scripture teaches that when you accept Christ, that the Holy Spirit enters your life. But but it is possible to quench the Spirit, to, to do things against God's will and cause the Holy Spirit not to have control of your life. Your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is still in your life, but He only has as much control as you allow Him to have in your heart. And so I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask you in just a minute to write this on the back of your card. Some of you have never entered the kingdom of God. You need a new heart. Some of you are in the kingdom of God, but you're struggling with stuff. And so you need a renewed heart and you need that Holy Spirit to dominate your life. Some of you, you know the job that God has called us to do. You know we're supposed to tell people about Christ. You know we're supposed to live better, but you're not doing it. Not only are you not doing it in your family, you're not doing it in your community, and you're certainly not doing it in the world. You're being disobedient. And so maybe the job thing is what God is speaking to you today about, this job of telling others about Christ. Some of you, you know those things and you felt helpless. Well, you need a new power today. The power of God's Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. Some of you, some of you, you've done all of that and yet your past is just weighing you down and you need a new purpose for your past. I want you just to ask God, which of those things, God, which of those things do I need to concentrate on today? Father, transform this group of people into the Holy Spirit's helpers, the helpers' helpers, so that we might do the ministry of the kingdom of God outside the walls of these church where you designed it to happen. So that then in the, in the days to come, this place will be filled not only with hurting people, but with healing people and growing new-hearted people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.